The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Is it time to reconsider our ban on generating nuclear power to improve our energy security, or are we facing a future importing? electricity which has been generated by nuclear power. I'm joined in studio now by the French ambassador to Ireland, Vincent Guerrand. Good morning and welcome, Ambassador. Good morning, Pat. Now, before we talk about nuclear, because you have been uh, discussing this notion, uh, let's talk about political developments in France. You have a new prime minister. Indeed, since yesterday, Gabriel Attal. Now, uh, why did the former prime minister resign? Well, the former Prime Minister, uh, Mrs. Elizabeth Bourne, who was in Dublin mid-November, uh-huh. resigned uh, and the President accepted her resignation after 20 months in office. Uh, last year and the year before were particularly challenging for the government with the two difficult laws on pension reform and on uh, immigration. And the President had believed that uh, it was time, time to have a, a new impetus and a new head of government. So so they have some disagreements on some of President Macron's policies. You might explain to us the way the French political system works. Our president has certain legal duties, but the role is largely ceremonial. Um, and our Taoiseach is the political boss, as it were. That's not the way it works in France. No, indeed. Uh, like in Ireland, our president is uh, elected by universal suffrage. Uh, he's like in Ireland, um, formerly the chief of the army. But unlike in Ireland, he is very much involved in daily politics uh, and certainly in the foreign affairs and defence, which are the so-called reserve domain of his. Uh, and he goes to the European Council. So he's an executive president who is very much in, uh, involved in, in the, the running of the, the policy, uh, even though the prime minister is so-called uh, the, the leader of the government and is leading the daily, daily uh, ministerial uh, work, departmental work. But in terms of a cabinet, who actually chooses the cabinet? Both. <laughs> it's uh, probably the, the prime minister who proposes and the, uh, with the agreement of the president. All right, so the president really is the political boss. I mean, yes, things can't really happen without the president say no, so. certainly not. Now, tell me about your new prime minister. There are a number of aspects to him which are historic. Uh, one is he's the youngest prime minister that France has ever had. And secondly, he is the first openly gay man to take up the job. Yes, it's a new generation coming up. Uh, we had a, a French prime minister age 37 in the 80s, Laurent Fabius. Uh, uh, and we have a president who was elected age 39. Uh, but now uh, we have a young a prime minister who is the most popular also, who was the most popular member of the government till uh, the day before yesterday. And indeed who has um, openly uh, uh, well, informed the public that he was gay a, a few years ago when he joined government. Uh, this is something uh, new but very well accepted in French public opinion. When I say he's young, he is young, 34 Indeed, 34. <laughs> and again, the French president was elected 39, uh, seven years ago, six years ago. Now, the, the uh, talents that he will bring, he was education minister, um, he is now prime minister. What talents do you think he brings specifically to the new role? Well, firstly, uh, and that's, I think, the reason why he was appointed, he um, uh, is uh, very gifted for uh, as a politician. He's uh, very suave in terms of communication, very good at coming across with all publics. He's very good uh, at uh, running a department. Uh, and he is uh, uh, very good also at uh, putting, putting across messages for the broader public. That's why he's so popular. And he, as you said, he held the Department of Education for a short while, uh, public uh, expenditure, uh, 
uh, and before he was spokesperson of the government. So he oh. has already, within a six-year period, a uh, uh, rather vast experience oh. as a member of the government. So this this will be no stranger to the the French public. When, when they heard this news, I'm sure they were maybe somewhat surprised at his youth uh, achieving this honour, but not really that, that surprised that such a man should take over. No, because he was uh, very present, present in the media over the last couple of months, and uh, his names were among the first to be... Uh, to be mentioned uh, when people thought that uh, a new government would be appointed. Now, there are big challenges for France uh, in the coming year. You've got the Olympics uh, coming up, but on the political level, you've got the EU elections, as do we. Yes, uh, well, all Europeans are uh, called to vote uh, early June. Uh, It's a very important uh, election for all of us. Uh, the polls so far are difficult in France too. I mean, Marine Le Pen's uh, representatives are polling, what, 10%, up to 10% higher than President Macron's uh, candidates. In, indeed, indeed. Whereas President Macron has been so vocal and so active on the European front and where the EU, we believe, has been so performing and so well performing over the last couple of years during the COVID crisis, during all the challenges we faced. So we believe it's uh, it's time for uh, French citizens to also understand the benefits of the EU membership, to understand all the positive action of the EU. But this is indeed a, quite an ep- uphill struggle. Uh, and as I mentioned, the Olympics as well, which uh, is going to be a huge occasion in France. Yes, we're very proud to host the uh, Summer Olympics again, a uh, hundred years after the previous edition in Paris in 1924, when Ireland participated for the first time. Uh, it's a huge uh, privilege. Uh, it's also a huge undertaking. We expect um, almost uh, a million uh, visitors from all over the world. Uh, and so the, the whole government is really focused uh, on this uh, huge event. Now, the, the um, European dimension, we talked about it there. You say President Macron has been very active. And uh, we, <clears throat> yesterday on the programme, discussed the idea of a European combined army. Um, your country would be in favour of such a development or not? Well, firstly, we believe that a um, the new threat around, uh, larger threat than before, Secondly, that uh, we Europeans have to um, get our act together. Of course, we have very strong allies across the Atlantic, but they won't be forever there, or won't be for the. Uh, they will be sometimes the, the, asking the, us the to Trump uh, issue that may uh, raise its head later on this year and into 2025. Should he be inaugurated? This is one, but there are also all the threats uh, or bigger concern for the United States uh, across the Pacific. And so we're all asked uh, to take a bigger share of our defense in Europe. We're also asked, again, by the United States and others. And so we Europeans have to, uh, again, get our act together. Whether this is through a European army or something else, we'll have to discuss this, of course. But we French are certainly in favor of having a a stronger European pillar uh, uh, of defense, uh, and this is something which has been also progressing very well over the last uh, couple of years. Since 22, we have a so-called uh, European uh, strategic compass, which also sets goals and sets objectives for Europe. Yeah. And of course, given that Britain is no longer in the EU and uh, Germany in the post-World War II situation does not have the kind of military uh, apparatus that France has, France would probably be the leading military power within the EU. Well, not numerically necessarily. The Poles may have more standing uh, in their standing army, but in terms of its capabilities. Well, two things. Firstly, it is a collective undertaking and other countries are also now uh, 
uh, upgrading very significantly and fastly their capabilities, like Germany mentioned, Poland and others. Secondly, we are indeed the only one within the EU to also have a, a nuclear uh, deterrence capability. And the French president, the present one, the previous one, said very openly that this is also something which in a way, ultimately, could be uh, protecting uh, other Europeans and that we would see our collective, uh, our French national interest to be extended to the protection of the rest of Europe. So this is also a huge contribution to European defence. Now, France, in terms of the war in Gaza and what happened on October the 7th and then the subsequent invasion uh, by Israel of uh, the Gaza Strip, Francis is uh, really on a tightrope here because you've got a very large Islamic population and I think you still have the largest Jewish population of any country in Europe. So politically quite difficult to walk that tightrope. Indeed, I mean, the uh, very, very appalling, concerning uh, situation uh, in Gaza, in the occupied terrorist, uh, Palestinian territory and more generally in the Middle East is something which is our highest concern together with the war, of course, in Ukraine. Uh, we have over the last couple of uh, weeks uh, also called for uh, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza because we believe that the humanitarian situation is absolutely a, a catastrophe. We're also delivering a lot of humanitarian aid together with others and together with the European Union. A war has to stop uh, and we have to come back to, to dialogue and to a negotiating solution, including ultimately a two-state solution. But the priority now, of course, is a ceasefire and the priority is to ex- avoid uh, an expansion of the conflict to the neighbouring yeah. states. Now, uh, we heard Anthony Blinken uh, on his tour of the Middle Eastern countries uh, saying, you know, that this was not a genocide, that uh, Israel was not uh, being immoderate in its responses. What, what do you say to that? Because to normal people looking at the coverage on television, hearing the reports mm-hmm. from the NGOs mm-hmm. saying, you know, Anthony Blinken is blinkered. He's not mm-hmm. seeing it as we are seeing it. Well, the the French uh, foreign minister was in the region very recently. She uh, she will return to the region, uh, or the new foreign minister will return to the region very very quickly too. Again, it's the highest priority. Uh, we haven't used these words uh, uh, that you just mentioned, but we urge all the parties uh, uh, on both sides, certainly uh, Hamas uh, as a terrorist organization and the Israeli government to uh, now uh, come into a ceasefire and, and find back uh, a, a way to have a, a, with the uh, Palestinian Authority a negotiated peace and a settlement of this conflict which has lasted too long and had too many casualties. So ceasefire mm-hmm. as soon as possible, immediately. Well, immediately. Okay. Now, Ambassador, the reason we invited you in, of course, was to talk mm-hmm. about nuclear energy and the fact that we are hoping to develop uh, a massive uh, wind energy system both offshore and onshore um, I was reading last evening that France uses, a, you know, a certain proportion of green energy, but much of that is imports from Germany, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But most of your electricity is nuclear. Yes, we still have since the 1970s, uh, roughly two thirds, 70 percent of our uh, electricity uh, generation uh, uh, by uh, nuclear. Uh, we believe that these has um, three main uh, advantages. Uh, firstly, it's uh, reliable in time. It provides also uh, a reliable input to the, to the grid. It provides also a, a stable frequency, which is very important for the grid. And it provides, thirdly, very uh, stable prices. Uh, and ultimately, of course, it's green in terms of, uh, of CO2 emission. It has a very, very low, not to say almost zero CO2 emission. And if you look at the figures at European level, we are among the best 
in terms of the CO2 emission per kilowatt hour uh, uh, generated yeah. with 50 grams uh, per kilowatt uh, because we have this combination of roughly 70% of nuclear and the rest being mostly uh, uh, renewable, meaning hydro and, and solar. Yeah. And so we're the best of the class. And we don't want to expand this to others. We just say, let us continue or let other countries continue to have nuclear because this is a very, very green energy. Now, you've been doing nuclear for many decades. Mm -hmm. And have you had any kind of concerning incidents? Because one of the problems Mm -hmm. with the debate in in Mm -hmm. Ireland has been the question of safety. Mm -hmm. And uh, besides uh, Fukushima and Three Mile Island, and we see what happens in a war situation in Ukraine, the vulnerability Mm -hmm of the Zaporizhia power stations. Those are the kind of concerns that Irish people have. Yes, no, I understand the concerns and they're legitimate and have to be addressed. Uh, indeed, in order to have a, a, a nuclear uh, um, uh, generation in a country, you, you need to have a, a very, very uh, uh, well complex and elaborate uh, ecosystem in terms of uh, oversight, in terms of regulation, in terms of uh, audit and controls. Uh, this, of course, uh, uh, exists in France, as it does in, in, in all European countries, Belgium, Spain, Sweden, uh, um, who, which operate uh, nuclear energy. Uh, it's very transparent. There is a parliamentary oversight. There are all kinds of technical oversights. We had no uh, major incidents over the last 50 years, when, uh, as long as we've been operating uh, uh, nuclear energy. And there's also a very strong popular support in France for this. Also, it has to be said, again, your energy price, I think, to the, mm. the consumer is about half the price that it is in Germany yes. because of the nuclear component. Mm. Yes, because these have been a very long-term investment, uh, which have been, by the way, also uh, encompassing the ultimate uh, dismantlement of those uh, nuclear power plants. And that has been costed in, has it? This has been costed in, indeed it has. Um, And and, uh, ultimately, as I said, this is a a very reliable, very rather cheap, or at least that's not the main argument, but it's a reliable, uh, stable and and, and green uh, energy in terms of CO2 emission. Okay, so where are the opportunities for Ireland and France in this regard? Well, there are uh, huge opportunities because, again, we, uh, it's for the Irish people to decide what kind of energy generation they want. But we strongly believe that at European level, we need three things. We need, uh, A, um, uh, ren- to expand renewable, and France is also expanding renewable. We need uh, uh, also for those who wanted uh, nuclear, and we need more interconnection. And the three all together will allow each and every EU member states to have the kind of balance he uh, it wishes but the three are necessary. And what we're now doing with Ireland is we are now building this so-called Celtic interconnector, which will uh, liaise the French grid with the Irish grid, which will be operating as 2027, 700 megawatts. That's roughly half a million households. And this will be a very, very important link for Ireland. Whenever you have access to uh, export Mm -hmm. your uh, uh, energy-produced electricity to France, and we will be able to export our nuclear-produced energy whenever there's uh, less wind in Ireland. And how much spare capacity do you have in France? I mean, if we were to Mm -hmm. want to buy nuclear generated electricity from you, how much spare capacity do you have? I'm sure we have sufficient. We have been traditionally uh, exporting electricity to our neighbours over the last 50 years. We'll continue to do so. Now we have a big plan to expand uh, our nuclear, uh, uh, um, the number of our nuclear uh, energy, um, uh, uh, sorry, reactors over the last, uh, over the next uh, 40 years or so. 
uh, we will have higher needs because of all the electrical vehicles and sure. electrical appliances we are now uh, uh, expanding. Uh, I mean, the number is expanding all over. And so we will have spare capacity for that. No, no worries. And what about the renewal of your nuclear power plants? I mean, some of them must be, get, be getting quite elderly. Uh, do they need to be replaced? Can they be refurbished? Yes. Yeah, see, the first generation dates back uh, from the 1970s, and then we had a new generation in the 80s. And there's now a whole plan to both expand, if possible, the uh, lifetime of some of those uh, uh, nuclear plants. Usually the lifetime range is 60, 60 years or so. And as I said, we have now uh, a plan to have six additional nuclear power plants, plus an eight, six plus eight for the 40, 50 years to come. So uh, there's a good planning ahead and there shouldn't be any shortage. In, on the contrary, we'll be able to maintain the 70%. Now, we saw uh, what happened share. in Germany after the Fukushima mm-hmm. uh, earthquake mm-hmm. uh, and how they began to close down their nuclear mm-hmm. plants and Angela Merkel was pushing that. Um, after what happened with Ukraine and Russia mm-hmm. and so on, that may have seemed like maybe a too abrupt uh, decision, mm-hmm. but that's what they decided to, to do. Is there political unanimity in France about nuclear power? Well, there's no unanimity because as in, on any subject, you, you may have debate and dialogue and, and, and discussion. No, there's no unanimity, but there's a strong majority in favour for all the reasons I mentioned. And so you would have some people indeed um, while well, believing that we, we can do without. But all the uh, scientists, all the experts tell you that you cannot square the circle of uh, decarbonisation, of, of greening and of um, supply without nuclear, yeah. in France at least. Yeah, I, I, and I've seen um, some TED Talks on this particular topic and the, the, the suggestion is that you cannot, with solar and wind alone, have a balanced grid where the economy is demanding mm-hmm. a lot of power mm-hmm. and that's why you need, mm-hmm. in the interim, maybe mm-hmm. gas generation, mm-hmm. but long term, something else, mm-hmm. whatever that something else might be. And in your mm-hmm. case, it's nuclear. Absolutely. And we strongly believe that at European level, we need this nuclear uh, component of the energy generation. Mm. And finally, the interconnector, it's an expensive uh, interconnector. Um, will your submarines be minding it for us? <laughs> yes, 1.6 billion, uh, but it will be um, uh, in a way um, paid off and, and profitable in the long run. This is an infrastructure which is uh, certainly worth uh, being uh, built. Uh we will certainly. There's, um, there's, uh, we need all together uh, to uh, make sure that our um, undersea uh, uh, infrastructure, be pipeline, uh, gas line, or electric, electrical cables, are protected. Uh, we have uh, capabilities in the French marine, and we will certainly make sure that they're best used for this <laughs> infrastructure. Well, thank you very much uh, once again for joining us in studio, the French ambassador to Ireland, uh, Vincent Garon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Pat. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.